The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Russus John Rushdooning. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. Slavery. Chalcedon Position Paper, number 103. Slavery has been common to all of history and to all continents and peoples. Ownership of other people and power over them has been sought by individuals and by states. In the 20th century, most countries, in fact virtually all, have banned by law the private ownership of slaves, But state ownership is increasing, not only in the forms of slave labor camps and the use of prisoners, but also in the increasing status power over all the citizenry. Slavery has not been limited to any one people. In the age of exploration and renaissance, trade in black slaves became common. But in other areas, Asiatics, Europeans, and others provided the slave labor. Although Europe in the modern era has tended to see its imperial history more readily, the truth is that Europeans have, over the centuries, been perhaps the major source of slaves. The very word slave comes from the name of a European people, the Slavs. Before the Mongols, and especially with the Mongols, the Slavs were treated as a slave people to be harvested regularly. Other Europeans were also enslaved and were common in the slave markets of Greece and Rome. After the fall of Rome, Jewish merchants moved into northern Europe as traders. They exchanged goods with the barbarian tribes for furs and other valuables. Chieftains often sold some of their people in trade. Jewish law required some elementary compliance on the part of slaves with Judaism in terms of scripture 
those who converted to Judaism became free Jews. This in time meant that most European Jews were of European stock, even as Eastern European Jews were of Asiatic origin. As Irving A. Agus in Urban Civilization in Pre-Crusade Europe, 1965, pointed out, a slave could also gain freedom by converting to Christianity according to the laws of European countries. As a result, to keep their slaves, both as slaves and then as Jewish converts, the Jewish traders were, quote, forced to assume a very warm and human attitude to their slaves, unquote. Volume 1, page 96. Excess slaves were sold to the Mediterranean slave trade, which, with Islam, became a major market. At first, because the barbarian tribes saw slavery as a normal thing, enslavement was not a problem. In fact, for some, it was a step upward materially to be a slave to a Jew. With the rise of Islam, however, Islamic slavers began to move northward up the rivers of Europe to seize slaves. France was routinely raided. At the same time, the Christianization of the tribes led to a hostility to slavery and to Muslims and Jews. But there was still the fact that slavery was Europe's, quote, best business, unquote, to use Michael Wood's expression in this era. The Muslims were the slavers from the south. The Vikings were the slavers from the north, and later, the Mongols on the east. The Vikings loved especially to raid on Christian holy days and take various peoples, especially the British and most of all the Irish, as slaves. Jewish and Syrian merchants in such places as Verdun processed the slaves, and many of the males were made eunuchs. Wood writes, quote, A frightened pilgrim in the late ninth century in Toronto saw 9,000 Italian captives being loaded onto ships, making up just one consignment to Egypt, unquote. In Search of the Dark Ages, 1987, page 169. Slave trading was a very big business indeed. The result was a resentment towards Jews and Muslims. The early form of the Crusades was pushing the Muslim slave traders out of Europe and converting and civilizing the savage Vikings. Then, when Christian pilgrims to the Holy Land were attacked and enslaved, the Crusade was proclaimed for that area as well. At the same time, the European Christian attitude toward the Jew changed and the hostility was directed against all, not just the slave traders. Slavery had earlier been an accepted fact of life by all. Now it was seen with hostility. With the Renaissance and with the revival of classical humanism, the medieval view of slavery was altered to an acceptance. Thus, when a merchant returned from a long trip to find that his wife had given birth to an illegitimate son, he waited until the boy was an adolescent and then took him on his next trip and sold him as a slave. Lucien Febre, Life in Renaissance France, page 17, 1977. The times were congenial for a return to a massive slave trade, this time with Africans. Over the centuries, however, the major source of slaves has been Europe. Europeans prefer to remember their imperial greatness and power, which has been remarkable, But Europe has been a continent subjected to extraordinary wars, degradations, evils, and conflicts. Europe has seen over the centuries the most sustained enslavement and also the systematic harvesting by slavers, one unequaled elsewhere except 
in local settings such as Aztec, Mexico. It has also seen the greatest freedom. Europe has moved from a casual acceptance of slavery to a worldwide war against it. The reason for this has been its Christianization. Those who today are hostile to Western civilization and its Christian heritage should remember that, outside the sphere of Christian culture, the two most commonplace aspects of societies have been slavery and polygamy. To abolish Christendom, as some hope, will in time restore both. Our Lord tells us that slavery begins within man. The basic slavery is to sin. Quote, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant or slave of sin. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Unquote. John eight thirty four and thirty six. This should tell us that non Christian politics is the politics of slavery because it denies the only valid source of freedom, Jesus Christ. The world today is moving rapidly into slavery. We cannot be indifferent to the politics of slavery because it is committed to anti-Christianity. Its victory will mean the enslavement of our children and of their children. But are not the churches full of people? Are not millions in the United States professing believers? The answer to that was well stated by David E. Rocket in his monthly newsletter, The Faithful Steward, July 1988. Quote, the lack of holy distinctiveness neuters the potency of the church's voice and its effectiveness in the world. We are not taken seriously by our pagan, secular countrymen because to their eyes, we are not different from them. Unquote. We are Christ's kingdom, His dominion men in this world. If we are only slaves or at best bystanders in our day, we have failed Him. November 1988 Bigotry in the Name of Tolerance, Chalcedon Position Paper, number 104. Bigotry in the modern world is viewed with disfavor and rightfully so. A bigot is defined as, quote, an illiberal adherent of a religious creed or of any party or opinion, unquote. Bigotry is thus no respecter of persons. A bigot can be a believer or an unbeliever, a professor, scientist, politician, or anyone else who views all who disagree with him as stupid, evil, or ignorant. Many evolutionary scientists are intensely bigoted, as are many intellectuals and media men. Like Job's foolish friends, bigots tend to believe that wisdom was born with them and may well die with them. Job 12.2 Because bigotry is so extensively condemned, when it now manifests itself, it is disguised as truth, or freedom of speech, or the First Amendment rights, and so on. In this disguised form, we are asked to tolerate bigotry or else reveal that we are bigots. Thus, we get bigotry in the name of tolerance. A telling example of this in 1988 has been the film, The Last Temptation of Christ. It is for all who believe in Jesus Christ, as revealed in Scripture, a blasphemous and evil bit of fiction. The proponents of the film insisted that it is a deeply religious film. They accused their critics of intolerance and censorship. They charged them with bigotry. Who is the best judge of whether or not something is offensive? Should we have asked Hitler if his anti-Jewish speeches and actions were offensive? 
Were not the Jews who suffered at his hands a better judge of that? Or if a mob attacks members of some minority group, as it is happening in Europe, should we ask the mob about the merits of their acts or words? Should we justify racist films which attack various segments of the community? There is a vast difference between saying a man has the freedom to do something and saying it is morally right for him to do so. Anti-Christianism increasingly demands more and more freedom to attack Christ and Christianity while insisting that any attempt by Christians to protest against such bigotry is wrong. This is a morally dishonest position. It is a denial of freedom to the Christian community. For these bigots to tell Orthodox Christians that the film is a deeply reverent one compounds the sanctimonious hypocrisy. It is like telling someone, after spitting in their face, that it was really a kiss. Bigotry in the name of tolerance is doubly evil because it compounds its sin with Phariseeism and hypocrisy. Such bigotry, however, is the order of the day. Congress routinely passes law after law, binding on the people and the administration while exempting itself from the applications of the law, or the criminal penalties for violations thereof. It then attacks administrators and demands their trial for doing what Congress routinely does. A good law should bind all people to compliance. Why have our various guardians of constitutionalism not challenged laws which give the freedom to commit crimes to one group? Is there any justice in such an arrangement? For any intelligent man to deny that The Last Temptation of Christ was a film hostile to any except modernistic churchmen is hypocrisy. It has offended evangelicals, Calvinists, Catholics, and even some others as well. An Orthodox rabbi has condemned it as defamatory. It treats an historical person in radical contempt of history. No one connected with the film could have been so obtuse as not to recognize that it would be offensive. In fact, we can with justice ask, was it not meant to be offensive, as surely as anti-Jewish or anti-black writings are intended to offend? Was it not meant to defame, to ridicule, and to offend? Or are these men more insensitive than KGB torturers and Nazi stormtroopers? A little more than a year ago, I was a witness in a trial in the South. The state's attorney charged several pastors with child abuse, not because any such actual case had come up, but because their churches and their various forms of child care believed in spanking unruly children with parental consent. The state's attorney declared the Bible to be a, quote, child abuse manual, unquote. A recently published book on Satanism absolved Satanists of crime but charged that, quote, fundamentalist Christians, unquote, are the main source of child abuse in the United States. Such persons assume, first, that their humanistic views of child care are, quote, scientifically, unquote, valid, and the views of Christians are false. Second, they refuse to see that they are intensely anti-Christian because they identify themselves with the truth and all Christians as in error, if not evil. Anti-Christianism is the new face of Phariseeism. It claims to be the objective truth and its opponents to be evil. It is a strident bigotry which pretends to be sweet tolerance personified. On the church side, too many people have come to believe that it is a greater virtue to tolerate 
anti-Christianism than to recognize it for what it is and call attention to its evil. Such people are afraid of the names they might be called, such as bigot, and they live timid and withdrawn lives. They dare not face men with the gospel. How can they ever face God? By the time of the Renaissance and thereafter, an interesting development took place with respect to death. Prior to that time, the tombs of the mighty stressed God's judgment and the resurrection. Now they began to stress lineage, prestige, and power, not the faith. T.S.R. Bose, in Death in the Middle Ages, 1972, wrote that the tomb of Count Carl Adam von Landberg, who died in 1689, has a skeleton raising the lid of the coffin, and the Count, quote, fully periwigged, emerges, unquote. The cathedral tomb gives us the Count's coat of arms and various trophies. Quote, secularism could go no further, unquote. Page 87. Death for the Count was to be a continuation of life in heaven with his same rank in nature. Because such men could not grasp the meaning of Christ and of death and resurrection, they could not understand the meaning of life, nor live as godly men. Today we have a generation of church people who believe that heaven will give them an all-expense-paid vacation where they will continue their secularized and self-centered living. Because they do not understand that Jesus Christ is life, John 14:6, they do not know how either to live or to die. They cannot cope with anti-Christianism because they do not recognize the absolute claims of the living Christ. A very fine black pastor lost his church recently because the people rebelled against his teachings on Christian education and on the evils of welfareism. The congregation, like thousands of others, wanted the form of faith without the power thereof. 2 Timothy 3, 5. The weakness and cowardice of churchmen gives anti-Christianism a license so that small groups can deal contemptuously with the faith of millions. Our Lord is clear that a good tree will bear good fruit. Quote, Wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. Unquote. Matthew 7.20 James, the brother of our Lord, tells us that faith without works is dead or non-existent. James 2.14-26 It is an amazing fact that churches now equate faith with easy believism. Worship while important, has replaced Christian faithfulness and dominion. As a result, the churches are powerless. Quote, powerless Christianity, unquote, is a contradictory term, because salvation means that the power of God has redeemed us, cleansed us, and is at work in and through us. No man touched by the Holy Spirit can be impotent. The early church was faced with the same kind of bigotry from the intellectuals and rulers of their day. They were accused of incest, cannibalism, treason, of being disruptors of the peace, and more. They were also killed in great numbers. They triumphed because in terms of God's word, they were his kingdom and government on earth. They preached the word. They cared for the sick, the poor, the young, the old, and for captives. They were a kingdom within a kingdom, and it was their power which prevailed. Demonstrations changed nothing. Regeneration, not revolution, alone leads to Christian reconstruction. We face strong and vehement anti-Christianism even within the church. It is, quote, the gospel of Christ, unquote, which, quote, is the power of God unto salvation, unquote, 
Romans 1.16 We face bigotry in the name of tolerance now. We face far worse things tomorrow unless we are ready to live and die for Christ. He alone is the true Lord, the only wise God and our Savior. December 1988 Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he had shown by his paying the very price. It was there at Calvary's tree, where he died for you and me. Hello.